0: Carlson, 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 Hoy här kommer Carlson, 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 ingen faktisk, ingen annan, Carlson, vill jag bra som mig, Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores, Carlson, 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 Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, by the way, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. As always, I'm your host Elon Dubrowski, and with me is Brian Com. Brian, what are we going to talk about today?
1: Today, Elon, as promised, we are going to answer that burning question: How can advanced statistics help you win your hockey pool?
0: We want to learn today, what can I do to get an edge over my opponents? What are the stats that I could look at beyond the goals and assists? So why don't we get right into it? Brian, what's a really crucial stat that if you know about, you could become the genius of your hockey pool?
1: Well, Elon, when I'm looking at stats for fantasy hockey, the first thing I do is I usually fire up my web browser of choice, and head over to extraskater.com. So why don't you do that? Go over to extraskater.com right now and and tell me what you see.
0: Offline.
1: Oh, no. It's offline. It's gone. The guy behind it, Daryl Metcalf, has been hired by the Toronto Maple Leafs, and so he took his site online, much like Tyler Dello, also known as MC79 Hockey, did when he got hired by the Oilers. This is happening everywhere, so... I think Keeping Carlson is like moving, by default, (laughs) up the ladder of resources available to people who want to know about fantasy stats. But for now, don't worry, Keeping Carlson will remain public, although we are open to offers. (laughs) But hey, you can still get your advanced stats info from us. Uh, It's a real shame, I think, from our point of view. I know Extra Skater was a huge resource for us, and I hope another site will come along very soon to replace it. But yeah, big loss. A lot of information was being made public and a lot of original research being done by those guys. So just a little tip of the cap to everybody getting hired by NHL teams, which is weird to say. But we'll continue on with our podcast unless there's an NHL team that is looking for a podcast to give fantasy advice to its players.
0: (laughs) Well, that is a shame, but we do have enough resources to keep going, like you said. So I'm really curious, what advanced stats have we lost access to because Extra Skater is gone?
1: Well, we haven't lost access to any advanced stats. We've lost access to an easy interface to show them. There's still a few good ones available. Behind the Net was there before Extra Skater. It's still there now. There's another great site called Hockey Analysis. We're going to post a link... Um, to each of the resources we can use plus an excellent write-up from the Oilers rig which I hadn't to be honest heard of before the other day uh, when they published and updated a guide to looking at NHL stats online and finding ways to research advanced stats without extra skater. so we're going to put that up too so nobody fear Uh, I think we'll all be okay
0: okay but let's get into our rundown we want this episode to just be a good resource for people to know how to get started in becoming this elite fantasy hockey player. So, what do you need to know about?
1: All right. Well, two caveats before we begin. I'm going to oh, You're be-
0: killing me, Brian.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. It's just to really understand these stats and get a grip on them. There's a couple things I really need to mention. I promise I'll make it quick. The first is I want to point out we're going to use even strength situations when we're talking about most of these stats, which is what I recommend you doing for your pool too. Um, Most players play the most minutes in even strength situations. so That's the best way to kind of look at what's happened and predict what will happen. And we're also going to focus on the player level for these advanced stats. A lot of things can be used for both player and team level and some are more effective on the team level but of course as fantasy owners we're more interested in how these stats specifically affect particular players
0: okay i'm ready
1: okay so am i so ask me that question one more time
0: well tell me a stat what's something that if you know about a player you could determine whether or not he's gonna do better than just by looking at his uh you know goals and
1: assists Okay, let's start with the one that probably the most people have heard of by now, and we've used it plenty on our show before. It is Corsi. Do you know what Corsi is by now?
0: Something about how your team does when you're on the ice. No, it's about your possession. It's about how often you have possession of the puck.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a stat that's used to measure puck possession, but we don't have the technology yet to track exactly how long each team or player is carrying the puck on their stick in a game. So instead we have Corsi, which helps us take our best guess. Figuring out Corsi is actually really simple. Don't let the names scare you. All Corsi does is it tells you the total number of pucks directed towards the opponent's net. So all you have to do is add together all shots on goal, all missed shots and all blocked shots. And after that, you've got Corsi.
0: All right. But there's some website that's going to do that for us. But how can we use Corsi to decide which players to take?
1: Well, a big warning with Corsi is that it's not a stat to be looked at on a game-by-game basis. You're not looking at one specific game. And because of that, Corsi can't help you much early on in the season especially with rookies or players on new teams because we really don't know what to expect from them because they have no career history. And like I said, Corsi is more valuable as the season goes on. The more games a player plays, the more accurate a reflection their Corsi number will be. So when you use Corsi, you're trying to look at more long-term trends rather than what happened in one game or two games. You're asking questions like, is this player getting killed in puck possession on a regular basis? Or you're asking, what was this player's Corsi over the last few seasons? And again, it's a stat that can't be looked at in a vacuum. When you look at a player's Corsi, it's equally important to know why they've got that Corsi rating. Is it their role? Are they a really good player? Are they a terrible player? There are a lot of reasons why a player's Corsi may be high or may be low, and you can't just come to a full stop after looking at their Corsi rating.
0: So, okay, so I assume I want to pick players who have higher Corsis because that means they're more likely to have the puck more often, which means more scoring opportunities.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. So all those blocked and missed shots that aren't normally counted in official shot-on-goal totals, they correlate with puck possession. And to miss a shot or have a shot blocked, you have to have the puck in the first place, right? So Corsi helps to tell us which team or player has the puck on their stick the most. And here's what you want to know. Lo and behold, the team that has the puck on their stick the most tends to be the team that wins the hockey game. So in the case of a player... A player who has the puck on their stick or is shooting, more often they are being shot against, is going to have more opportunities to score a goal.
0: All right, so in that case, how can I use Corsi in my roster decisions?
1: Well, I think what I'd say is don't be hasty. So you want to see, an on Extra Skater it was expressed as a percentage, on Hockey Analysis it's expressed as more of a, a plus-minus or per 60-minute sort of stat. But essentially, you want somebody with a high Corsi. A high Corsi is a good thing. Now, there are a lot of reasons why a player might have a high or low Corsi, but I suppose as a fantasy owner, we don't really care that much. We just want to see that they do have good possession numbers with a large sample size. A player that's played three games with a high Corsi number, say 65%, is not better, in my opinion, than someone who's played 25 games and has a Corsi number of 52%.
0: So in that case, like, what is considered to be a good Corsi score?
1: Well, 52% indicates, like, a decent sort of player. I mean, it's all relative to your team, and there's actually another stat to help you with that called relative Corsi. But let's put that on the back burner for a minute. And because Extra Skater's no longer online, and there's a reason we mentioned this at the top of the show, that was really the the best way to view Corsi as percentages. So if you go over to BehindTheNet.ca... Corsi's expressed as a stat per 60 minutes, so how many Corsi events, so that's a goal, a shot on goal, a missed shot on goal, or a blocked shot, happen while a player's on the ice. So we're looking at plus one when it happens for that player, and minus one when it happens against that player, and the league leaders, and this is way off the charts, you know, you have Anj Koptar, Patrice Bergeron, Jonathan Taves, Brad Marchand, Joe Thornton, they're all in the 20 to 25 range. That's pretty high. Uh, If you go down lower, I think you're looking at about maybe 10 or 11. If you've got a a differential of plus 10 or plus 11 Corsi, you're looking really good. As expressed as a rate per 60 minutes. So
0: I'm looking, Sidney Crosby had 7.7 last season, and he was the Art Ross winner, probably the most viable forward in fantasy hockey. Is it odd that he had a less than 10 score?
1: Well, Elon, I'm kind of going to dodge your question. I'll give you a partial answer and mention that Crosby, yeah, his his rate is still good. Anything above 2, 3, 4 is pretty good. And I was saying what, you know, a very good number would be Uh, And, of course, the numbers at the top, like we were talking about Bergeron, Kovatar, and Taves, are excellent. Crosby clocked in at about 66th in Corsi. And, well, Sidney Crosby is the best player in the league. Why is he ranked 66th on this metric? And the reason for that is Corsi is a very context-heavy stat. A player's Corsi is very influenced by the way that their team uses them. And a very good way to look into that, which is an excellent segue, is player usage charts. Have you heard of these?
0: Uh, I've heard you talk about it before. I assume it has to do with whether they're used in offensive or defensive situations.
1: Yeah, exactly. So what they show you at a glance in a very visual way is a player's offensive zone start percentage. And on the same graph, you're going to see the quality of their competition. So you can take a look and see if a player is starting a lot of shifts in the defensive zone against top competition or starting a sh- lot of shifts in the offensive zone facing easy competition. And these are the sorts of things that will influence a player's Corsi number. So I think the takeaway is that you can't just look at a player's Corsi number and make a decision. You have to ask why. But that's more for like a real analysis angle. As a fantasy poolie, Elon, do you really care what role your player is playing as long as he has a high Corsi number?
0: Well, in the end, I just care about is he going to give me goals and assists? So does the high Corsi number indicate that he's likely to get more goals and assists?
1: Yeah, a higher Corsi number, especially over a long period of games, will indicate an increased likelihood of a player being able to score, right? The more chances you have to score, The more times you throw a puck at the net, the better the chance it will have going in. So it doesn't matter why they're getting those chances. Is it because they're riding a line mate's coattails and getting really favorable usage from their coach to a fantasy poolie? Not so much.
0: Right, exactly. But also, I guess like you say, I'd imagine it's probably useful to know about the player's usage just to know like, oh, this guy is playing defensively lately. Maybe I don't want him. Though if he's playing defensively and he has a high Corsi. Oh man, then what do you do?
1: Yeah, that exactly. And that's why it's, it's good to know. It can kind of indicate if a player is riding coattails or if they really are pushing and driving their own puck possession despite the odds being stacked against them. So if you want to look at it on a basic level as a fantasy poolie, you can look higher, low, coursey, make sure to make sure that a player has played a certain amount of games or minutes. Because again, sample size is so important here. If you want to take it a step further and really understand things, go ahead and take a look at a player usage chart. And you can see those in two places. One is hockeyabstract.com and the other is some kind of ninja. We're going to post links to both places in our show notes.
0: Okay, so you're saying if you see a high Corsi, but their usage chart indicates they have a lot of offensive minutes, then maybe that Corsi isn't as valuable as a player who has... High Corsi, but lower amounts of offensive minutes since they've been able to prove that they can do it, even not given preferable minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of. That that's a rough way of putting it. But also, you have to think: is the guy in the defensive situation putting up the same? Who's putting up the same Corsi? Is he going to be moved to an offensive situation if he's really succeeding there?
0: Which would be pretty great, because then that player would likely have his Corsi go up even higher.
1: Right, but I think what I'm trying to say is it's not likely that that's going to happen. But again, if if the numbers are similar, um, then you can move on to another metric and try and find another way to figure out which player is the right one for you or which player is doing better for your team.
0: Okay, just one more question about Corsi before we move on. Are there any examples of players who generally have really crappy Corsi but still tend to be great fantasy performers?
1: Well, Elon, I'm going to tell you something. The bottom nine Corsi rated players uh, in 2013 14, can you guess what team they are from? They were all from the same team.
0: Oh, man. Okay, Buffalo?
1: No, that is the 10th and 11th worst Corsi rated players.
0: Okay. Edmonton?
1: The 12th and 13th worst (laughs) Corsi-rated players. What about the first through ninth?
0: I'm trying. Florida?
1: Nowhere. No.
0: I don't know. I give up.
1: Okay, I'll tell you. It's the Toronto Maple Leafs. The ninth worst rated Corsi players in the league last year were all from the Maple Leafs. But can you think of a Maple Leaf that you would have liked to own last year?
0: Well, I did own Phil Kessel, and that was pretty helpful for me.
1: And Phil Kessel, out of players who played 50 games or more, ranked 235th in Corsi in the league out of 239 players.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so... Something's wonky there.
1: Well, what happened was the Leafs were just a bad team. They didn't seem to care much for puck possession or correcting things that gave them poor puck possession numbers. And of course, their stats as a team suffered. But should Phil Kessel get dragged in along with that?
0: Well, he still had 37 goals and 43 assists, so he was doing something right.
1: Yeah, and right beneath him in the stats is one of my own MVPs from the season, James Van Reemsdyke, who didn't do too badly himself either. So what's the deal? How can we suss out the difference between good players who are being dragged down by their teams in terms of Corsi and just plain bad players?
0: I guess there's this relative Corsi thing that you had mentioned before.
1: Oh, you were listening. Okay, yes, relative Corsi. Uh, it's usually written as rel Corsi, just R-E-L. Um, that's the shorthand for it. And what relative Corsi is, is it's a slight twist on Corsi that tells you how much better or worse a player's possession numbers are in contrast to their teammates. So what it does is it forgets whether a team is sitting in 1st or 30th. It tries to control for the influence that an entire team's numbers can have on one individual player. And it answers the question, which players are driving possession for this team? and which players are dragging the rest of the team down. And if we look at James Van Riemsdyk's and Phil Kessel's relative coursey numbers, we can see that even though they were a minus 12 per 60 minutes each, they were both about mm, plus 5 compared to the rest of their team.
0: And I guess the idea is that if the team, even if they have poor possession, they're going to score some points... So you might as well go and see who's going to get the points for that team.
1: Exactly. You can see who are the players that are barely, just barely, or not even, keeping this team afloat. Somebody is taking the scoring chances. Even if they aren't coming often, someone is taking them. And while their whole Corsi numbers will suffer because of what the rest of their team is doing, Corsi Relative can help us figure out which players are still doing well on a bad team.
0: All right. So this is a lot to take in here. So far, you've told us about Corsi player usage charts and relative Corsi. So I wonder, do we have enough information yet for you to answer the question of, like, let's say if I'm just looking at available free agents, Mm -hmm. and, you know, let's say I'm ranking by how many points they have so far in the season, just a basic ranking. And so I see, like, you know, the top 10 players, some of them have high Corsi, some of them have lower Corsi. Then I guess for the ones who have low Corsi, I should see what their Corsi relative is, and adjust based on that.
1: Yeah, and sometimes even the ones who have high core like for example, drafting and owning players from the top teams is a really popular fantasy strategy, but maybe the rest of the team is pulling them up and they're actually dragging down their team's success.
0: Okay, which is maybe okay for you in the short term, but in the long term, that player, if they were to be moved to a different line or traded to a different team, all of a sudden their value would plummet.
1: Absolutely. And Chris Stewart is a great example of that happening last year. He was a possession drain on the Blues, but nobody really noticed because things were going well for the team. And for him, he was seeing some pretty favorable percentages. And then he was traded and well, he didn't have anyone to hide behind anymore.
0: Okay, so we're starting to build up a bit of a toolbox of, of handy stats here. We've already talked about the two types of courses. We've got the player usage charts. Is there something specific in the player usage chart that you should be looking at?
1: Yeah, I think the most valuable part for me, just to go back to that for a minute, is the offensive zone start percentage. And a big example of what influence that number has, you can see in the Sedins when Alan Vigno was coaching them in Vancouver. They started almost every shift in the offensive zone, and everything was gravy. I mean, they're really good players, but you could see when Tortorella came in, their offensive zone start percentages took a bit of a dive because he wanted them to play defense, too, and use them in a defensive role at times. And you saw it happen last year. Their their fantasy numbers were really hurt.
0: Well, yeah, last year definitely wasn't the best year to own a Sedin. Henrik Sedin had 50 points, which is definitely less than his 80, 90 points that you were used to.
1: Yeah, and Daniel had 47 points in 73 games. He had 40 points in 47 games the year before. So offensive zone starts is a really good and, and very quick way to see if a player on your roster is getting a chance to produce offensively or if they are being used in a more defensive role. And personally, I would prefer to have the guy who's being used in an offensive role, even if it's just as a specialist, even if he's not known as a well-rounded player. I'm not looking for a well-rounded player in fantasy necessarily. I want somebody whose coach is putting them in a position to score. And starting in the offensive zone is a huge help for players to be able to do that.
0: So what would you consider to be a good offensive zone start percentage?
1: Well, guys who are being used in a primarily offensive role generally see maybe between 60 and 75% of their starts in the offensive zone. Guys who are not being used in an offensive role, who are in a a defensive role, are shockingly low sometimes, but you can probably count between 25% and 40%. And of course, if it's between 40 and 60, maybe they're going back and forth.
0: Yeah, I see. I'm looking at Sidney Crosby over on behind the net. He's got 51% offensive zone start percentage. So I guess he's just kind of used for everything.
1: Yeah, he's a fantastic all-around player, and he's good enough to be able to overcome having fewer offensive zone starts than a lot of people who score less than him.
0: I guess at the end of the day, it's it's interesting looking at someone like Crosby when you know he's so obviously going to give you the most points, but yet his fancy stats don't necessarily tell you that. Like, he's not, like, number one in anything there. But I guess it just goes to show that you need to sort of take all of the stats, the fancy stats, and the regular stats into account. We're definitely not saying don't look at his history of of goals and assists and shots and all those good things.
1: Yeah, well, the fancy stats, like you were saying, might show you that he was rated 66th in Corsi last year, but that really doesn't mean anything without knowing why he was rated 66 and in what situations he was on the ice in Pittsburgh. And this is, you know, it's a pitfall for a lot of people who are either against advanced stats or trying to learn advanced stats who see this and say, you know, this this does not match up at all. It doesn't make sense to me. Why is Sidney Crosby just not the best player in every category? And it's because we're measuring a lot of different things at the same time and trying to account and control for so many different factors that are happening on the ice. The bottom line is nobody's looking at fancy stats as a magical crystal ball it's a tool that we can use and like continue to develop and evolve to figure out why a player performs the way they perform
0: Mm -hmm. and also i think it comes in handy if you're looking at two players who have similar regular stats and you want to try to predict who's going to get more points in the future all of these things seem like they would be good indicators like is he going to be playing more offensive minutes defensive minutes does his team get lots of shots Also, I know another thing we talk about really often on our podcast is this idea of luck. Like, has the player been lucky or unlucky recently? And I have a feeling you're going to get to a stat that I know you like to mention a lot.
1: Yeah, and let's make it the one we finish with. I feel like this has been a really dense session so far. So if you're listening and you want to take a break, there's no shame in that. Just hit pause and come back later. Okay, here we go. The last stat that we're going to talk about is PDO. Do you know what that stands for, Elon?
0: I believe you've said previously that it doesn't stand for anything.
1: Yeah, it's best to just forget what PDO stands for. Just accept it as a meaningless acronym or even, like, spell it out as a word in your name, PDO. It helps a lot.
0: Okay, and that's about luck, right?
1: Yeah, and it's a great stat for fantasy owners to keep in mind because what it boils down to is an attempt to answer the question, is this player good or just lucky? Or is this player bad or just snake bitten? It's the advanced stats way of confirming whether a player is snake-bitten or getting great puck luck or maybe they're just playing right to their expectation. So PDO is going to help us figure out if a player is playing over their head or or what's the opposite of over their head?
0: Um under their knees?
1: Yeah, okay, let's go let's go with that. So do you see how this could be useful in a fantasy pool?
0: Yeah, actually this is the stat that I started using last year after talking to you for these podcasts. I found it really handy just because, like, again, you're comparing two players or you're looking at one player who has stats. And you're like, how is he having such great stats? Is he going to be able to keep it up? And like you're saying, it's really useful to know are his numbers sustainable or is it just luck?
1: Yeah, that's a big term, right? Sustainable and luck are like two of the the things that we care most about in fantasy hockey. We want to know if a player can keep on a hot streak or can snap out of a cold streak. And so let me tell you a little bit about how PDO is calculated. It's done using two stats that you might already know, on ice shooting percentage and on ice save percentage. And it just adds both those things together. Don't confuse them with just the player's individual shooting percentage or, or save percentage, we want to know what their whole team's performance is while that player is on the ice. So, for example, if Eric Carlson is on the ice and the Sens score five goals on ten shots, and then he leaves the ice and the Sens score zero goals on ten shots, His on ice shooting percentage remains 50%. Five goals on 10 shots. Whatever happens when he's not on the ice does not count towards these numbers.
0: Right. And okay, and these percentages, I guess, are important because I think you've mentioned before, sort of goals are considered kind of lucky, like you expect over time to sustain a pretty consistent shooting percentage.
1: Yeah, exactly. So what we know is that teams are much more in control of how often they shoot. Then how often they score. Goals are relatively random events. And as much as a lot of hockey fans don't want to hear it, there's a lot of luck involved and it's hard to tease that apart from skill. And what shots do, it's just kind of taking it back to what we did with Corsi. It gives us a greater sample size. So we have a greater body of data on which we can make a prediction. So players whose teams shoot more with them on the ice should technically have a better chance of scoring. But it doesn't always work out that way, and we know that fairly well, especially when you're looking at a player's stats game by game, you know, when you're in a tight matchup and and you need those points. You know, a player on the ice for a ton of shot attempts might not see one get past the keeper, and a player on ice for a much smaller amount might score a whole bunch of goals in the same time frame. And what we do know is that in both cases, both with the player getting no luck and with the player getting a lot of luck, we can count on those percentages to progress or regress to the mean over the course of more games or if you're looking at career seasons. So what we're looking at is in terms of on ice save percentage, you're thinking a player usually should get, it varies from season to season, but say 912 to 915. And for on ice shooting percentage, it's typical for a player to see about seven to nine percent of their team's shots go in while they're on the ice.
0: All right. So all of that being said, then what is considered to be a high PDO or a low PDO?
1: Okay. So what we do is we take both these numbers and we add them together. And if one of them is higher than it should be, it pushes the PDO up. So let me first tell you that the baseline for PDO, depending on the website you use, is 100 or 1000. And for simplicity's sake, we're going to use 100. Okay? Sure. All right. So both percentages are supposed to add up to 100 When everything is going as expected, when a player is seeing what should be interpreted as an acceptable amount of luck or bad luck, when everything is just going average the way we expect them to, 100 should be the PDO. Are you still with me? For sure. Okay. So if a player's PDO goes above 100, that means one of those percentages has risen above what we should expect it to be. And so that means that what's going to happen after the percentage goes up, it will... Regress it will regress, right? So you're looking, if you're on a scale of 100, if a player's PDO starts creeping up into, you know, 104, 105, that's time to get concerned. If it goes higher than that, you should be really concerned and trying to figure out what's going on. Similarly, if their PDO is dropping below 100, say it's at 93 or 94, then you can expect that maybe they're getting a little bit unlucky in their percentages and that they will climb back up to 100.
0: Right, yeah. And I remember we used to talk about that a lot on the podcast. Whenever I'd be like, Brian, what's up with Claude Giroux? Why is he not getting any points? And I don't remember specifically with Giroux, but in general, with a question like that, you'd be like, well, right now that player has a low PDO, so you'd expect that he's probably going to improve a little bit. Or you might say, yeah, Elon, it's really concerning, especially because their PDO indicates that they haven't really been unlucky. They're just not playing very well right now. So it's a really useful thing to know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and, in fantasy hockey, it's huge in terms of buy low, sell high, right? This is what we want to know. Is a player playing above their expectations and should we sell high? Or are they playing below their expectations and try to pick them up for cheap?
0: Okay, so I've got to ask you about a player then in particular. Okay. Because there's one player last year that was talked about so much as a sell-high player, and that was Alex Steen. Did he have a high PDO for the majority of the, at least the early part of the season?
1: Yeah, Alex Steen's PDO was 99. But tell me, Elon, did he keep up his scoring pace all year long? Uh,
0: No, I guess it cooled off near the end.
1: Right. So he was close to 100. And by the end of the year, everything had sort of evened out, which is exactly what we'd expect. If I looked back, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if I looked back, I'd expect to have seen them rather high at the beginning of the year. But those were because of his shooting percentage. His shooting percentage was off the charts. And this is true for save percentage too. The things that happen that, that we use to calculate PDO It's possible that they do sustain an abnormally high and abnormally low. There's always exceptions. It's not guaranteed that they're going to regress to the mean. If you look back at some of the Vancouver teams with Roberto Luongo or the Boston teams with Tim Thomas, their PDO was regularly high just because of the even strength save percentage that all the players were getting from their goalies.
0: Right. So I guess like you've sort of said about everything, you need to look at these numbers in context. So if a player has a high PDO, but he like sort of has had that same PDO throughout his career on that team, then maybe that's a better chance that he won't just regress back. And that's just sort of the baseline for that player.
1: Right. And sorry, I think I just said even strength when I meant on ice. So I'm sorry if I confused anyone. PDO, we're making sure we're talking about on ice shooting percentage and on ice save percentage. And as a fantasy poolie, I'm more interested in the on-ice shooting percentage. So if a PDO is high or low, I don't know if I'm too concerned about the on-ice save percentage. If a player's looking lousy and plus-minus is a stat, then well, maybe I do care about their sa- their on-ice save percentage. But otherwise, I really just want to know about the on-ice shooting percentage part of the equation because much like a player's own shooting percentage, that should regress to the mean, and I'm not going to count on any ridiculously high percentages to get me through a tough fantasy year.
0: Right, yeah, and I know you always talk about, so this is another, I don't know if this is considered a fancy stat, But you always seem to mention when we're analyzing a player, you know, you say, what's his career shooting percentage? And then you look at what his shooting percentage has been so far this year. And that's a great indication of if he's playing above or below his head.
1: Yeah, that takes us back to Alex Steen, who finished the year with a shooting percentage of 9.65%, which I think was a lot closer to his career totals than I believe. And I could be wrong, but I feel like he was up at like 16, 17, maybe even 20% earlier on in the season. But my case that I love to refer to, which was a running joke during the early days of our podcast was Alex Chason, who everyone got really excited about when he was scoring, you know, like at a 50% shooting rate over 30 shots or not even maybe 20 shots. And everyone thought he just had natural talent and was so skilled. But of course, he regressed and is now just like every other NHLer who scores on roughly, you know, say, Depends on the player, but we're looking at uh, between 8 to 10% for an average player, maybe 12% for an above-average player, uh, and of course there are exceptions, higher and lower for really great or really terrible players.
0: Okay, man, this has been a lot. So maybe before we sign off, can you just sort of give a recap in terms of maybe just what you do as uh, last year's winner of your hockey pool? When you're looking at players and deciding who to take and who to drop, can you just give us the rundown of sort of how you use these stats sort of all together?
1: Sure. So I look at their Corsi. I see if it's high or low. And then I find out why, if I'm curious, if it doesn't match what I know after watching hockey or what I know about hockey, I check the player usage chart and see who they're playing against and in what zone they're starting their shifts. After that, I'll also take a look at their relative Corsi to see if they are playing better or worse than their teammates in terms of puck possession. And then I'll also have a look at their PDO to see if their percentages should be expected to go up or down or stay the same and especially pay particular attention to their on-ice shooting percentage which should be uh, between 7 and 9 percent. And if it's higher than that then I'm worried about them. If it's lower than that then I'm hopeful. If it's the same well that's great. I kind of know what to expect from this player.
0: Wow, Brian, that was quite the episode, not the typical Keeping Carlson fair. We haven't mentioned that many players, but I feel like we've definitely learned a lot about just what goes into the standard Keeping Carlson analysis.
1: Yeah, and I really hope that everyone was able to pick up on what we talked about. I know I'm a bit of a fast talker sometimes, so maybe, Elon, what we can do is open up our mailbag and let people send us emails and tweet to us any questions they have about what we talked about today, or something that we didn't cover, and we'll try and spend at least a little bit of time on it on another show coming up soon.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll see what comes in. And if you want to contact us, just email us at keepingcarlson at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at keepingcarlson, And that's going to do it for this episode. Of course, all the things we've talked about They're going to come in handy as we go through the season. Now that we have these tools, Brian will be able to tell us as the season's going, and we're trying to decide which players to take and which players to drop. He'll use all of these stats in his analysis. So I'm really excited for the season to actually start and for us to get into the nitty-gritty But before then, I guess we still have some summer to go, unfortunately. And Brian, what do you think we're going to talk about in the next episode or the next few before we actually get to talk about specific players and how they're doing in the 2014-15 season?
1: How about next episode, we talk about drafting strategies. So we'll talk about different ways to get the most out of your draft. And maybe we can also squeeze in some keeper talk in that one to see which players have attained keeper status since last year and maybe which players have lost it. What do you think?
0: Well, that sounds exciting, Brian. I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully we'll be able to get that out in a couple of weeks as we trudge forward towards the new fantasy hockey season.
1: Yeah, and in the meantime, if you head over to the freshly redesigned keepingcarlson.com You'll find a whole bunch more resources to help you wade further through the stats that we talked about today and more.
0: Okay, and with that, let's say goodbye. I guess no need to read the credits this week since we've been talking about all of our sources all throughout.
1: Behind the net in hockey analysis, thank you for not selling out.
0: Right, like stupid extra skater leaving us when we need you most. R.I.P. extra skater. (laughs) Looking forward to hear what you guys think. Catch you next time.
1: Thanks for listening. Hope you're still (laughs) awake.